Hi there, and welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Gems from Galatians. For more teaching on the book of Galatians, be sure to get a hold of Kevin's newly released commentary on this important letter written by the Apostle Paul. Kevin's new commentary is available in paperback format from Amazon, in ebook format for Kindle, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Good, thank you. Okay, let's turn our Bibles to the Epistle to the Galatian Church. How's this, uh, how's this for sound? All right. Ask you a question. All right, we'll go to Galatians chapter 3. And I want to uh, pick up a certain section there. Particularly uh, on the previous sheets, uh, if uh, two or three of you weren't here last week, I do have some extra copies of the previous lesson. But uh, on a previous sheet I gave you, uh, we picked up the word promise. So uh, let's go down to Galatians chapter 3. And verse 15 again, and then just uh, two or three other verses there um, as we continue. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, or in the manner of men, reading from you, King James. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to your seed, which is, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, or the law covenant really, which was 430 years later than the Abrahamic covenant, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ with an oath, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? We've uh, we've yet got to answer that. It was added because of transgressions till these seeds should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly righteousness would have been by the law, but the scripture has confi- uh, confined all under sin that the promise by, promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our school, our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Uh, for you all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, now what we want to pick up tonight is this. I want to, in the sheet that you've got, I think I've got one myself, somewhere. Yes, uh, let's just take a very brief moment to review here uh, 
before we proceed. Okay, so on your lesson six we're on tonight, the Abrahamic covenant promises we're looking at. So uh, in our previous two sessions, we've looked at that every covenant to be a valid biblical covenant has to have three things, has to have the words or the promises of the covenant. Number two, it has to have the sacrifice of the covenant, which involves a broken body, shed blood. And then every covenant has to have a seal. So in our review, every covenant in the Bible had the words, the sacrifice, the seal. Everybody uh, understand what we did on that? Like a few amens here. Okay, then B, which has been mentioned tonight, I believe the most comprehensive covenant of all the covenants in the Bible is the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to be touching on that a, a bit more fully tonight, okay? The Abrahamic covenant, the most comprehensive covenant, as we'll see. And then under C, we finished on this last week, the importance of an oath. When an oath was attached to a covenant, it became irrevocable, it could not be broken, it could not be annulled, or disannulled, we say, it could not be annulled, and it could not be added to. You dare and touch it once a, uh, a, a covenant was given an oath. I want to remind you uh, of the, the, the word oath, and let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6. And just picking up on the importance or the significance of the oath again, just to remind us of what... Uh, what we looked at. Now, as I said, some covenants had an oath attached to it and other covenants didn't, or else it was an oath of cursing. But the Abrahamic covenant was confirmed with an oath that makes it impossible to disannul. Uh, it's an irrevocable covenant. There are irrevocable covenants like the Mosaic, as we'll see in another, another lesson, but the Abrahamic is irrevocable. All right, now, verse. Uh, uh, we'll pick up in verse... 13. Uh, so, alter your, your scripture there, the oath of the covenant, Hebrews 6 and verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Now, reminding you, he did not swear by heaven and earth because heaven and earth are to pass away. He swear by himself, his own eternal immutable being. So, because he could swear by no greater... See, we don't, I mean, some people slip that out. We shouldn't as Christians, oh, heaven's above all. You know, we should never say that. Jesus said, don't swear by heaven nor by earth. Heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. Just let your yea be yea or your yes, yes, or your no, no. Mean what you say. Don't say one thing and, and uh, mean another. But when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee. And multiplying, I will multiply thee. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So it was not only that God made promise to Abraham, uh, just, to, just to assure Abraham, look, not only do I make my promises and not like yeah, the Australian government makes promises to be broken, God said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll add my oath to it, making the promise doubly sure. So, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immut immut immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie. The two immutable things are God and his oath. 
two immutable things, God and his oath, which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now, verse 20 leads us into the next uh, part of the oath we want to look at. Whither the forerunner is forced entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the only priesthood that Abraham had to do with was Melchizedek. So you can't separate Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant from Melchizedek priesthood. Now, he goes into chapter 7 on the whole area of Melchizedek, but let's go down to verse... Um, Six, uh, 15 we'll make, you can alter it on your notes there, verse 15. And it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh to God. Now, here, here it is again. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests, and we'll interpose some uh, words here, those priests of the Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood of the Mosaic covenant, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. He'll not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then go down to um, verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law made men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law, in Psalm 110, makes a son who is consecrated forevermore. The word of the oath. So the oath of the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant received an oath and the priesthood of the Abrahamic covenant, which was Melchizedek, he received an oath. And as I finished off saying last week, that's why no other person in the universe but Jesus Christ could be Melchizedek. Why? See, most Bible, I, I think 99% of Bible expires miss this. They say, well, Abra uh, Melchizedek was only a type of Christ. No, he was a real person. And God gave, now, you listen to this a moment, we'll just develop this a wee little bit. If, if Melchizedek was not Jesus, and Jesus is not Melchizedek, this is what you got. God said to Melchizedek, whoever he was, you are a priest forever unchangeable priesthood. Nobody will ever take your place. So how can God give to his son the oath of the Melchizedek priest and say, you are a priest forever, if Melchizedek could rise up and say, hey God, you gave me that oath, how can you give it to Jesus? You can't have two priests with an unchangeable priesthood. There's only one Melchizedek, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that Hebrews 7 says, he was king of righteousness, not a righteous king, but king of righteousness. He's king of peace, not a peaceful king. There's only one king of righteousness, 
and one king of peace. And who is it? Listen to what Psalm 85 verse 10 says. Righteousness, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How? In the king of righteousness, king of peace. And listen, whatever the king is, the kingdom is. Because he said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and for good measure, joy. So the kingdom is like the king. Melchizedek is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that was our subject, I would give you 25 proofs to prove it was. Now you'll find 99% of preachers disagree with me. But it's not my fault if I'm right, is it? Okay. All right, now, just a little bit more here and then we'll move on. Okay, on the oath, certain of the... I'm reading off my notes now. Certain of the divine covenants have their promises confirmed with an oath. When such is the case, the covenant becomes irrevocable. Without an oath, the promises may be subject to change or cancellation. And so in the dictionary, we have a dictionary meaning of the word, a solemn affirmation with an appeal to God for his truth. And we think of oath-breaking even in courts today, a violation of an oath, perjury. Or we think of the oath of allegiance, an oath binding to true allegiance to a specified power. Uh, we speak of the oath of supremacy, an oath declaring and establishing the supremacy of British sovereigns over every other power, spiritual or temporal in their realm. Then we have the word oath in the Hebrew and in the Greek. All right, so I think you're uh, con uh, convinced on that. Let me just make one other point here. In certain cases, only a person in authority could release somebody from an unwise oath or promise. The oath made covenant promises irrevocable so they could never be annulled. To break an oath was to inflict a curse upon oneself. So uh, I've done the thought of the oath right through the Bible. It's a very, very solemn thing. We used to sing this uh, when we used to sing hymns back in the Dark Ages. How many remember the chorus, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand? One of the most wonderful verses in that good old hymn is this. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. His oath, his covenant, his blood. The one who composed that hymn saw that. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All right, now let's go back to uh, Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> and uh, reasonably quickly, I want to remind you on the notes I've given you in a previous occasion, we find that the word promise is used at least um, uh, 9, 10, 11 times in uh, chapters uh, 3 and 4. Verse 14, just uh, if you haven't underlined it, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, the blessing of Abraham. Verse 16, reminding you of this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Verse 17, latter part, uh, the law covenant which was 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. 3.18, uh, God gave it to Abraham by promise. Uh, verse uh, 18, again, we have that. Verse 19, uh, it was added because of transgressions till these seeds should come to whom the promises were made. Uh, verse 21, uh, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. Verse 22, 
uh, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Verse 29, and if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. And then chapter 4, two references here. Verse 23, he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. And verse 28, uh, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So I know we're spending a reasonable amount of time on the whole area of Abraham, the promise, the covenant, but because, as I said, the Galatians are uh, experiencing covenantal confusion, that's what we're trying to deal with. Okay, let me remind you of this, and then we'll move into the notes that you have. All right. We said the three major covenants in the Bible were the Abrahamic, and then the Mosaic covenant, and then the New Covenant. Okay? Now, the uh, Mosaic Covenant was 430 years later than this. Now, just a couple of things we need to put here. With the Abrahamic Covenant, we have, uh, we have Melchizedek, the priesthood of that covenant. MPH, not, that's not miles per hour. Uh, Melchizedek priesthood. We have the first reference of communion in the Bible, Melchizedek gave Abraham bread and wine. We have the first mention of tithes in the Bible. Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes. Okay? Then we all this is done at covenant time. And then when God made promise to Abraham later on, uh, further promises, he confirmed it with an oath. He confirmed it with an oath, and the oath made the covenant irrevocable, unbreakable. So he confirmed it with an oath. Okay, so they're the most important things you have here. It's an everlasting covenant, Melchizedek priesthood, bread and wine, tides, covenant and the earth. Now, their problem is, okay, the new covenant has disannulled the Mosaic covenant. Therefore, the, new, the Mosaic covenant must have disannulled the Abrahamic. He said, no, that was confirmed by an oath. So this does not disannul this. The Mosaic Covenant does not disannul the Abrahamic, but the New Covenant does disannul this. Now, let's anticipate here. Uh, under the Mosaic Covenant, we have the APH, the Uranic Priesthood, and uh, with that, of course, the Levitical Priesthood. We also have the Table of Showbread, which fulfills like the bread and the wine, the showbread, the communion table. We have tithes, uh, and a lot more tithes here. And we have a covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, but there is no oath attached to this covenant. This is not revocable. This is revocable. It's not irrevocable. This is irrevocable. This was everlasting. This is not everlasting. So when Jesus died on the cross, to show he'd finished with the Aaronic priesthood, the veil of the temple was rent. Levitical priesthood, as the priest is standing before the veil, uh, God rends the veil and says, boys, you're out of a job. The table showbread, the temple, all that was destroyed in AD 70. Tithes were not abolished at the cross because the new covenant brings us back to this. What's the priesthood of the new covenant? Melchizedek priesthood. Do we still have the Lord's table? Yes. Do we still give tithes? Yes. Are we under the covenant? Yes, the new covenant. And does this covenant have an oath? Yes. So in other words, the new covenant brings us into the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. How many understand that? So this was abolished, fulfilled and abolished by the new covenant. 
but the, but the uh, Mosaic Covenant did not disannul that. That's what Paul's getting across. That's why the whole of the Galatian thing is getting them out of covenantal confusion. And as we've seen before, we repeat it again, the Judaizers are taking the seal of the Abrahamic Covenant, circumcision, that was abolished at the cross, and they're taking Sabbath days, the seal of the Mosaic Covenant, and they're trying to take the, that uh, part of the Abrahamic Covenant that was abolished, like circumcision, the seal, and the Mosaic Covenant, Sabbath days, and they're trying to stick it on New Covenant believers. He said, no, those temple things were abolished. The eternal parts of the covenant are Melchizedek, communion, tithes, oath, covenant relationship. How many see that? So the law was 430 years later, and it does not disannul. All right, now, let's go to your sheet here. Right. It's carried right through, yes. It's the same oath because if we wanted to do this, uh, you know, the same oath. In Genesis 14, you could put this down. We have, uh, yeah, let me throw this in into the thing. We have the revelation of Melchizedek historically. That's the first mention. Then Psalm 110 which was written by David, and we have to come to that, the Davidic covenant. We have the Melchizedek priesthood prophetically. And this psalm adds further material to what we've got here on Melchizedek. So Abraham got something about Melchizedek. David got something about Melchizedek. And if Paul wrote Hebrews, what do we have here on Melchizedek? The book of Hebrews is built the book of Hebrews is built on this and this. And here we have the revelation of Melchizedek doctrinally. That's the three things. So revelation of Melchizedek historically to Abraham, prophetically to David, doctrinally to us. That completes the picture. Okay, now let's take a sheet here and... Um, I want to ask you a question as we move into this part here. Now, you've got all this on your notes. You just need to add the scriptures. Now, as you look at the, <clears throat> pardon me, the uh, chapter there, and as I've looked at it over the years, this word promise is mentioned so many times, at least 11 times. And uh, so I ask myself questions. Okay, if, I'm able, if I belong to Christ, I'm Abraham's seed, and I'm heirs to the promise, and the promises of Abraham. So uh, what does that really mean? Abraham was promised the land of Canaan. Is that yours? Do you think we all should rush over to Jerusalem and claim the promise? All right, there are things we need to look at. I want you to go, first of all, to Genesis. You'll, you'll have to put the scriptures on your notes here. Let's look at the promises of Abraham, and we need to break them up. And, uh, you know, this is, I, I, I assume this, because the Galatian epistle, only, you know, about six chapters, uh, I'm under the impression that Paul and the Galatian believers of the Galatian churches must have known about covenants. How many would assume that? Otherwise, what's Paul talking about? The Abrahamic covenant, and the promises in the covenant, and the Mosaic covenant, then the new covenant, 
and then Abraham's two sons. I mean, what's he give them all that for if they just plain uh, ignoramuses and know everything about nothing? They must have had some background that at least they could understand the epistle a wee little bit. So I, I would assume that, that the early church had a lot of teaching that we don't even get today. All right, let's turn to Genesis 12. And uh, in this first paper here, the first page you've got, I want you to put down some references and we'll look at some of the promise, or we'll look at the major promises that were given to Abraham. Now you see that they fall into 12 basic sections, that's all together. All right, Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, there are at least eight promises here. I want you to listen to this. Eight promises, and I know you can't see my Bible, that's why I hold it up to you, but, but I've, I've numbered them all here, one through to eight. And you can do that if you want to mark your Bible. Okay, verse 12, uh, I mean chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham... Abraham as he was there, not Abraham. Now the Lord had said to Abraham three things. Get out from your country and from your family and from your father's house. Just get out. It's a nice call. And on the basis of obedience, if you get out from your country, I'm going to give you a new country from your family, I'm going to make a new family from your father's house. And other chapters show that uh, uh, Abraham's father was idolatrous and they lived in Ur of the Chaldees, Babylon. So God is really calling Abraham to come out of Babylon, Abraham to get out of Babylon. Now we have the uh, eight promises here. Number one, and you can put this on your note here, I will make you a great nation. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Number two, I will bless you. Number three, I will make your name great. And it's interesting how, how Abraham's name is so great. There are three major religions in the world that all look to Abraham as their father. Islam, Judaism and Christianity, the three major world religions, all look to Abraham as their father. Islamic, Judaistic and Christianity. Make your name great. Number four, I will make you a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Uh, in fact, the key word in this first promises to Abraham is the word blessing. See how many times it's used? And then in ver uh, verse three, Promise number five, I will bless them that bless you. And number six, I will curse him that curses you. And number seven, and in you, all the families, and other scriptures say, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then uh, number eight, promise way down to verse seven. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So right in the initial promises here, we have eight promises. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll make you a blessing. I'll bless them that bless you. I will curse him that curses you. And you shall all families, nations of the earth be blessed. And I will give you this land. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 22 for promise number nine. 
Now these promises, uh, as were mentioned, are repeated to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But Genesis 22... Now, we've alluded to this uh, on previous occasions. Abraham is uh, tempted by God, tested by God, and he takes his only uh, son Isaac uh, to the land of Moriah and he's offered as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. So in verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, two witnesses, to witness the death and resurrection of his only son. And Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So he said to the two young men, the two witnesses, you stay here with the donkey, Lad and I will go yonder and worship. And here's Abraham's faith in the resurrection. We will come back to you. That was uh, resurrection faith. <clears throat> so Abraham, father and son, go together. And uh, the wonderful verse there in verse uh, 8, when the son said, where is the lamb? Abraham said, and uh, in the Hebrew, apparently the thought is such uh, loaded, my son, God will provide himself a lamb, or my son, the lamb, or my son, God will provide for himself, God will provide himself, God himself will be the lamb. You can read it about a dozen different ways, and it's all true. So the two of them went together, the unity between the father and the son. So as he uh, lays his son on the altar there, and he's about to stretch forth the knife uh, to slay him, the angel of the Lord called him and said, Abraham, he said, here am I. Notice he didn't uh, call him twice here. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad. I know you fear God. You've not withheld your son, your only son. And then we have the doctrine of substitution, Abraham lifts up his eyes and sees a ram caught in the thicket by its horns and he offered up the, uh, the ram for a burnt offering in the stead, which is substitution for his son. Then we have the redemptive name here in verse 14. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now, we come to the promises and God adds something here that's not back in the previous so, verse 16. Now, please remember, it's on the basis, as uh, we've done before here, on the basis of uh, Genesis 22, on the basis of three days' journey and the death and resurrection of Isaac, the only begotten son in type. On the basis of that, God now gives some other promises here in the uh, Abrahamic covenant. So, listen to them. Verse 16, and here he gives an oath too. He said, by myself have I sworn. Now in Genesis 12, there's no oath. There's promises. But now he gives the oath. By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will, I will bless thee, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed, and we'll pick up something in a moment. I'll read it first. As the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And here's the next promise now. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. So number nine on your notes there. Your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. That's not in chapter 12. It's added here. 
and verse 18 confirms the previous, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So number nine, your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now, I want to add something else here that uh, when, we, when we pick up on the seed, in the promises back here, just uh, we'll sort of go back here, this is not the scale, in Genesis, let's pick this up, in Genesis 13, which comes after Genesis 12, everybody believe that? I fasted 40 days to get that. Okay. In Genesis 13, God says to Abraham, your seed will be as the sand or as the dust for number, innumerable. In Genesis 14, we have the revelation of Melchizedek. Genesis 15, and see, Abraham, I mean, Paul takes these things up chapter after chapter in the New Testament. Genesis 15, he, re oh, yeah, Genesis 15, that's right. He says, your seed will be as the stars. So, first, chapter 13, then chapter 15. First, the seed, the sand seed, the dust seed. And then, next, the, the star seed. Now, when you go way down, Genesis 17, we have circumcision, the seal of the covenant. Genesis 22, God switches it over now and he says, your seed will be as the stars and your seed will be as the sand. He reverses the order after the three days and three nights and the death and resurrection of the only begotten son in time. Now what is God saying to Abraham here? And this is really important because it helps us on the Galatian epistle when Paul particularly pick, uh, picks up about till these seeds should come and if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed. From Abraham, there is going to come two seed lines. First of all, the seed line would be as the sand and the dust, natural, national, earthly Israel, if you please. The sand, the dust, natural, national, earthly Israel still with us today. People in Palestine or in New York or wherever who do not know Christ, they are Abraham's seed after the flesh. They are sand, dust, sea, earthly, natural, national Israel. But he said your seed will not only be as sand, your seed will be as the stars, heavenly. And there is a spiritual Israel the church. And that's why Paul says, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So the stars represent the heavenly, the spiritual Israel. There are two Israels. Now, not all Israel which are of Israel. And that's a good thing to keep in mind when they say, well, all Israel shall be saved. Well, if they're not all Israel which are of Israel, who's the all Israel that's going to be saved? So, I'm glad that I am star seed tonight. How many are glad you're star seed? Spiritual Israel. I might even be natural Israel after the flesh. But uh, it's the new birth that counts, the second birth, not the first one that counts. So, seed. And, and now he reverses it. It was first the natural, then the spiritual. First the sand, then the stars. 
But now in Genesis 22, on the basis of the three days and three nights, it's reversed. Now what am I saying? In the Old Testament, it was first the sand, then the stars. But since the cross and the three days and three nights of Calvary and the death, burial, and resurrection of the only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God has reversed it. The Israel that God is concerned with now is the church. The, the stars. The sand will have to have a new birth to become a star. That's why we can sing, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, How I Wonder What You Are. All right, now, let's go to promise number 10. Let me ask you a question here before we go to the particular scripture. And uh, you will probably hear lots of preachers say this because they haven't had gems from Galatians. <laughs> I haven't been to Bible college or something like that. Um, how many believe that when Israel asked for a king and they got King Saul, that it was never God's will for Israel to have a king. How many believe that? Hands up. How many don't believe it? Hands up. How many are frightened of getting caught? Hands up. How many still have a lying spirit? Hands up. Okay, now, contrary, I'm sorry, it's just, you know, preachers need to read the Bible too. It was God's will for Israel to have a king, but it wasn't his time. Okay, now let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 17. How many see, you know, in this whole Abrahamic thing that Paul deals with, you know, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 22, all those chapters. You know, chapter after chapter, Paul said. Okay, Genesis chapter six, uh, 17. Genesis 17. <laughs> All right, so I'm saying here that it was God's will for Israel to have a king, but as we see, it wasn't God's time when they chose Saul. Genesis 17, and I'll pick up in verse uh, 3, or verse, uh, let's pick up in verse 1. <clears throat> and when Abraham was 99 years old, there's still hope for me yet. Uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai, Walk before me and be perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face. So he must have been a saint. He fell forward. He didn't fall, fall on his back. As uh, Kevin Conn and Reen Conner do. Uh, he fell on his face. Uh, no wonder. The book of Acts says the God of glory appeared to Abraham. And such a manifest presence of God, he fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. There are so many things coming to my mind here. Neither shall your name any more be called Abraham, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, What's the next uh, word? And kings shall come of thee, out of thee. Kings. So Abraham way back there was promised kings. When we get to our next sheet, you'll see that uh, significance there. 
and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now let me add this, the Mosaic covenant was not an everlasting covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. It's confirmed by, with an oath, by an oath. This is not an everlasting covenant. The new covenant is an everlasting covenant. So everlasting, irrevocable, confirmed by an oath. Not everlasting. It's revocable, not confirmed with an oath. Galatian believers, listen to what I'm trying to give you. Not you out there, I'm just thinking Pauline. New covenant, everlasting covenant, confirmed with an oath, irrevocable. I'm just thinking, you know, when I study this, I have to think, okay, let's get into the Galatian church and listen to Paul talking, helping me. All right, verse 16, uh, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. Uh, Sarai means contentious. How'd you like to have a wife like that? Come here, contentious. Let me kiss you, contentious. <laughs> that was a contentious kiss. Uh, uh, Sarah means princess. So from being contentious, she's changed the princess. Um, I, I know I shouldn't do these things, but I get tempted. Um, uh, well. For years, Abraham was known as Abraham, and then it was changed to Abra. Uh, have you ever been to India where you think of the Brahmins? See? Not a connection there, far more near it. Uh, Abraham, and then he changed Sarai to Sarah, <laughs> and did you know this was the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and uh, uh, even if you don't understand this, just enjoy it anyway. Uh, in, in, in the name of God, which is referred to as Yahweh or Jehovah, they have no, uh, the Hebrew has no vowels in it. So it used to be this, J-H-V-H. You know what God did? He took out of his own name, H-H and Abraham, Sarah, the fifth letter, and they became partakers of the name of God. Thank you, Kevin. We didn't understand that, but that was in it was interesting at least. That's what I said. Okay, let's get back to this. Uh, now, to Mrs. Abraham, Sarah, God promises kings. Verse 16, and I will bless her and give thee a son of her also, also of her, yeah, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And you can't help but read the next part. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And then Sarah, later on, she laughed. And then uh, when God challenged her, why did your wife laugh? She said, I didn't laugh, but she laughed in her heart. And, uh, and how beautiful this is, especially in the light of this terrible laughing revival. Abraham laughed. It was a laugh of belief. Sarah laughed, a laugh of unbelief. But when they got together, Isaac was born. How many think God has a good sense of humor? But it's Bible. So I'd rather have Isaac laughter in the church than Ishmael. Hmm. All right, thanks, Kevin. That's a good point. Okay, number 10. 
Now, promise number 11, while you're in Genesis 17, so you put your scriptures there, Genesis 17, verse 7 and 8, we have the promise of personal relationship. I will be a God to you and your seed after you. That's in verse 7. Uh, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. So God being God to Abraham and to Abraham's seed. Uh, it's, it's, it's covenantal relationship. Verse 8. Uh, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein you were a stranger, all the land of Cain, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Not only be a God to you, I'll be their God. So that's divine relationship. And then that is confirmed right through the prophets. I will be their God, you will be my people. All right, now, verse number 12, promises of Christ and the church. I want you to go back to Galatians now for number 12. How you all doing tonight? All right? Thank you, all three of you. All right, Galatians 3. And now, num verse <laughs> number 12, promises to Christ and the church as the seed. All right, Galatians 3 and verse 12. <clears throat> verse, I'm sorry, Galatians 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And we've gone through these tremendous promises here in brief. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not and to seeds plural as of many, but as of one and to thy seed which is, everybody say it, Christ is the seed of Abraham. Okay, let's put it up here. Christ is is the seed of Abraham. Verse 16. But it does not stop there. And uh, let's go to verse 17 while we're there. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed, I'll, I'll, I'll supply the words now, that the law covenant, or I'm sorry, that the Abrahamic covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ with an oath, the law covenant which was 430 years after, cannot disannul the Abrahamic covenant that should make the promise of none effect. Verse 19, then they say, okay, what purpose then does the law serve? Here's the key. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Who's that seed? Christ, in verse 16. So the law was added until. It was added because of transgressions and added until. In other words, it was temporary. Temporal. Not everlasting. It was added until these seeds should come. Now, so Christ, first of all, is the seed until. That's the key. It was added until the seed should come. Now, verse 29 completes the picture oh, there. Verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What are we going into all this stuff about the promises for? If they're nothing to do with us. No. So in verse 16, Christ is the seed of Abraham. 
But in verse 29, if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed? Which seed? Sand or dust? Sand or stars? Stars. That's right. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. I wonder what you are. Okay? So in other words, the seed of Abraham since the cross is Christ and the church. So, let's put it another way. I'm not a very good artist, but it's Christ the head and the church his body. So when God said to Abraham, in thy seed all the nations are to be blessed, how are the nations being blessed today? Through Christ in the church. Will the seed of Abraham stand up and smile, please? Yes. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. Thank you. You may be seated. This gives you a sense, of, a sense of destiny because it doesn't matter because he said in that chapter, in Christ is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, Greek or anything else. In Christ is neither Malaysian, Australian, American, Russian, Chinese, or whatever. National barriers cease to exist in Christ because in Christ I'm a new creation and uh, you were the seed of Abraham. And, and if you please, it's not seeds. I'm not looking at a bunch of seeds here tonight. L listen to the language I'm using. It's one seed, but it's a many-membered seed. I think that's exciting. It gives, gives you a sense of destiny. So when I go overseas or go to different nations, if I don't like durian or pork or anything like that, so while I'm the seed of Abraham, a little bit of it, I'm part of that many-membered body, that many-membered seed, and uh, he said, in thy seed all nations be blessed. So I'm happy to go and bless the nations and not eat durian. <laughs> or pork. Or some of those things that help you get to heaven quicker. So, you know, it gets rid of all that nationalistic, sectarian spirit. And uh, I, I think God has blessed us in Waverley here, don't you? With a good cross, uh, international thing of the body of Christ, the seed of Abraham, because we're in Christ. And in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile, Caucasian, Russian, Asian, Chinese, German, doesn't matter. National, national barriers are all collapsed at the cross, because we're one in Him. I'm one with you, you're one with me. Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with me for all eternity. And I'm stuck with you. Okay, our last few moments. So, has everybody understood that? Now, we haven't finished yet, but I've picked out of all the promises that are given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I've got the whole list of them here in my own notes, uh, exhaustively, but I don't exhaust you. These are the 12 major promises in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, let's go to the next one for our last few moments. And... <clears throat> In this uh, sheet, how are we doing here? We've got a few moments. I, w I have broken up these promises because, uh, you know, that old song we used to sing um, and some of the things we used to do when we were little immature Christians. How many uh, come from the day when we used to have promise boxes? Hands up. So, uh, some of us still are from the dark ages, but... We used to have these promises, and you probably heard me say this about the guy who had the promise box, and he went and grabbed the promise, and it said Judas went and hung himself. 
and he didn't like that problem, he stuck it back. Then he picked up another one and says, uh, go thou and do likewise. He didn't like this one. And then he picked up another one and said, what thou do is do quickly. So, he said, so his promise box went out the window. And then we used to sing this one, every promise in the book is mine, every sentence, every word, every line. Don't you believe it? Every promise in the book isn't yours or isn't mine. So with all this, we have to find out what promises are ours. And when Paul is saying to the Galatian church, if you Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise and the promises. What promises? Okay, just, uh, just to help you on, on one major one. Okay, I will give you this land, the land of Canaan. Is that ours? No, it's not. Okay, um... Yeah, I've been not. Let's continue. Okay. I've broken up those promises or grouped them, should I say, into several groupings. First of all, there are national promises that strictly belong to natural Israel. The sand, the dust, the seed promises. And these seed promises, as I said last week, the Abrahamic covenant is the most comprehensive, I don't know if I can fit any more on this here, but let's try. In the Abrahamic covenant, we said it's the most comprehensive. Take the seed. In the Adamic covenant, the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. In the Noahic covenant, the seed of Shem. In the Abrahamic covenant, the seed of Abraham. In the Mosaic covenant, the seed which, which, which come from the tribe of Judah. In the Davidic covenant, the seed of David. And now we bring it to Christ. Christ is the seed. So all the seed promises are in the Abrahamic, the Adamic, Noahic, the Davidic, this, all the seed, and they're consummated in the new. Christ is the seed of Abraham. Then it flows into the church's body. Okay? We got that grouping. Then number two we have the promises of the land. That belongs to the Mosaic Covenant, the PC, the Palestinian Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant concerned the people and the Palestinian Covenant concerned the land. So God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a great nation. This was all in there. The people promised the land promise, all in the Abrahamic. That's why I said the Abrahamic is the most comprehensive of all covenants. All right, the next one here, the promise of kings, okay? The promise of kings is in the Davidic covenant. Now, this is important to realize that there's a time that all this takes place. I mean, when God gave to Abraham the covenant, uh, he's only got one little kidlet, Isaac. So the seed begins. And then we got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then the twelve. Then eventually they become a nation and get the Mosaic Covenant. Then after they get the Mosaic Covenant, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, then they enter the land. Then when they're in the land, God gives the Davidic Covenant and kings. So this took place over several hundred years. It didn't all happen at once. So that's what people don't realize. So all these promises were here. Seed, Land, Messiah, kings, victory over the enemies, but it all progressed over the time. And then the greatest, all right, so let me 
Make sure I stick to this. So promise of kings, Davidic covenant. And then the promises of the Messiah and the church, the seed Christ and his church, is in the new covenant. And the greatest promise of the Abrahamic covenant is the promise of the, the new covenant. In thy seed, which is Christ and the church, all nations will be blessed. Go and make disciples of all nations. Christ in his church is doing that and the promise is a blessing. All nations of the earth are blessed. If you took the church out of the earth, what do you think the earth would be like? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the earth is pretty corrupt now. Say if God removed the salt, the church, from the earth. Do you think there would be any more corruption? There would be no restraining salt influence of the church. Then he said, you're not only salt, you're light. If the Lord took the church out tonight by the rapture, which he won't, I'll see you next weekend or next week, got to finish this. Uh, if he took the true church out, there's enough darkness in the world now how great would be the darkness once the church was removed by a rapture or whatever you like? So that's pretty solemn affair. You and I are salt, restraining moral putrefaction. You and I are light, restraining darkness. But once the church is taken out, salt, the world is going to be worse than you think it is now. And once the light is taken out in the light of the church, it's in total darkness. And the Bible speaks of that time. So let's be salt and light while we can. Everybody said amen. Have you understood these things tonight? All right, we haven't finished. To be continued, come back next week for this exciting episode. Let's all stand. <clears throat> I think you've had enough for tonight, though, don't you? Yes, Kevin. Let's all stand. Father, once again, we thank you for your inexhaustible word. And we thank you, Lord, for the, the glory of covenant, that you are a covenant-making, a covenant-keeping, and a covenant-revealing God. And Lord, that tonight you and I are covenant people, and that uh, through Christ we become Abraham's seed, and that you said in his seed, all nations will be, will be blessed. We want this nation of Australia to be blessed through the seed of Abraham, through Christ in that seed, Malaysia and China and Russia and Europe and, oh, America and England and all the islands of the sea, all the nations of the earth to be blessed through Christ and his church. Let it be, Lord. Lord, help us to realize the solemnity of being light so, uh, in the midst of a darkened world and salt in the midst of a uh, putrefying world. Help us to be what you've called us to be because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, just bless your word to our hearts. May it fall on a good ground and bring forth fruit in our lives unto your glory. We ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and everyone said, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information. God bless.